There are so many reasons why looking back on the goals you've achieved or haven't achieved is a really powerful thought process. I think a lot of the time people think that, oh, exercise, oh, they know they should, but they don't get around to it and they come up with a million excuses. And that was me. Hello, it's Andrew May and welcome to another edition of the Performance Intelligence Podcast. As we drag ourselves towards the end of the 2022 calendar, we thought the appropriate topic to talk about today is looking in the rearview mirror. Joining me is Angela Poon, Strive Stronger Operations Director. And you have seen why we need to have this conversation because in our meetings the past three, maybe four weeks, how often when we've asked clients, how are you going? Have they just gone blah? I think every time. I think people are barely hanging on, Andrew, just crawling their way through to the Christmas break. It makes sense because we've had a couple of years of COVID and lockdown. And then this year, 2022, it's been full on. And people were already fatigued at the start of the year, fatigued physically, emotionally, psychologically. I think there's a spiritual fatigue as well, because people weren't connecting with a purpose greater than themselves for a while. And now it's just compounded. So today we're going to do four things, Ange. Number one, talk about the three reasons why we think this is really important to look in the rearview mirror. Two, the science behind, because we want to keep the rigor towards this. Three, we've done it. Let's do it. And people can go to andrewmay.com podcasts and you can download an article I've written on this and also a worksheet that Ange and I used to come up with our ideas today or with our answers. And number four, Ange, for those that really want to, they can go deeper on self-awareness. So let's look at the three reasons why I want to do this podcast. First, it's all about me. It's personal. <laughs> all about me. I have done this every year, as you know, the past three or four years, and it's really beneficial. And I've done it in December, and that's why we're coming to people on this podcast around early December to give a couple of weeks to reflect, to ruminate, to pontificate, all those eights. And then this will help you over the Christmas period to then set goals. So number one, it's personal. Two, is its leverage. I've actually sent this activity to my key clients the past three years, and it takes hours. I was thinking, why don't I just do a podcast and I'll send them a text? And three, we agreed that this is needed for so many people because the research on this shows that so many people set goals but a very small amount look back and there's a whole science. So they're the three reasons. The science behind this, Ange, way back in 1933. Were you around then? I don't I even think, think you I were around. <laughs> <laughs> Philosopher John Dewey wrote about the importance of reflection. So this is 90 years ago and how reflection bridges the gap between experience and self-awareness. Now, we're doing a lot of work with Navy right now around self-awareness. And every time we run a session, we stay it starts with self-awareness. Every time I run a mental skills program, and we've just launched with Manly, it is all about self-awareness before you go deeper. John Dewey was onto something 90 years ago, and he observed how serious and careful consideration leads to personal growth. But as I was saying before, a lot of the goal achievement research has focused on the process of how we set and how we achieve goals. Yet a relatively new field called accomplishment focus now looks at the benefits of reviewing and reflecting on goals that have been achieved. So Ange, without getting into your goals just yet in the, well, there's seven areas and I've added an eighth one. What did you find from doing this activity? Yeah, it was an interesting exercise, Andrew, and it's not something that I've ever done before. Previously, I've sat down and looked at the big picture about where I wanted to be in five to 10 years time. That was an interesting task within itself, but I've actually never sat down and thought about what have we achieved over the last year? And slowing down, especially during this period, and doing that, I, I, I summed it up afterwards uh, in two words. I feel like it was a lesson in gratitude. 
it was something that I, when I look back at each of those areas, I thought, wow, actually, I've done a lot more than I realize. And I've actually done a lot of things. And when I reflect upon it, it's actually given me a greater sense of confidence. So it was really useful. And like you said, it is about that self-awareness because I think you can careen through the year really, really quickly, which a lot of people have done. And I think when we were speaking to our clients, even a quarter of the way through the first year, it felt like people were in December period already. And this was back in March. So you can imagine how people are already feeling now. So taking stock, reflecting, slowing down and thinking about it, it has helped slow down and appreciate what we have done in the last 12 months. You're in a better state. Much better state. Yeah, and we'll get into that in a moment. <laughs> and we'll explore as much or as little as you would like our listeners to hear. Now, what you're saying, and it's interesting, and, and I haven't set this up because I said let's make this authentic, but a study in the Journal of Personal and Social Psychology, it showed that students who regularly review their achievements have higher levels of future goal commitment and also better intrinsic motivation towards achieving future goals, and they have a greater sense of accomplishment. So gratitude is the thread that runs through that. Now, that's all psychological babble if you're not into this stuff like we are. What it really means is they are setting and achieving goals for the right reasons, not goals set to impress other people. Yeah, that's so true, especially when, you, uh, when you're first starting out in your career, for example, and they get you to sit down and do those goal-setting exercises and you're left with this blank sheet of paper. They give some guidance, I'm sure. But you're often thinking, oh, I've not really done this, or you set goals thinking that these are the goals that will impress your managers. What do you think? What should I do? Like, yes. What's going to impress you? You're like, oh, what are your goals? You ask your peers, or oh, what did you write? Oh, I think I'll just write the same thing. You're not really doing it for you. You're doing it because that's what you think you should be doing. And we all know that those goals never stick. Mm. And this is not setting goals. We're going to do a podcast wizard early in the new year about how to set goals because we know – 80% of goals, New Year's goals, are thrown out by the end of January. 50% in the first two weeks because we set goals to impress other people. Like this year, I'm going to get fit, lose weight, stop smoking, learn French, spend more time with the kids. And it's done to impress others. There's not a deeper part. We'll get back to that in January. But this actually really does help set future goals. And that's what the research rounded out, that reflecting on your past goals, or for context now, reflecting on the past 12 months – and looking at your achievements really helps you set up for future goals. And doing this on the weekend, the accountability, I said, hey, Poonie, you better do this and I better as well. It's already got me thinking about some of the areas I want to work on next year. So yeah. I have found there's a real link between reflection. This is not setting goals. It's reflecting on the year that's just been. Absolutely. And I think I keep talking about setting goals because – like you, when I did the exercise, I realized, oh, there's actually a few areas which I need more focus or I'd like to do more of. And so that really has helped me establish the areas that I actually want to go deeper in. There is a term, and called the lost art of self-reflection. And this term was first attributed to a guy who was pretty good at writing named Charles Dickens, who was around in the early 1800s. Dickens said, Pony. Reflect upon – you didn't say that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realise he spoke to me. <laughs> he spoke to everyone. Uh, Dickens said, reflect upon your blessings of which every man and woman has plenty, not on your lost misfortunes of which we all have some. It's summarising, and there's a lot more science on this because Dr. Tom and I have looked deep on goal-setting frameworks, looking back, looking forward – 
There are so many reasons why looking back on the goals you've achieved or haven't achieved is a really powerful thought process. One final one, there's a book I love by psychologist Daniel Kahneman. His book is called Thinking Fast and Slow, where he talks about, it's really popularizing brain science and how slow thinking, and I think sometimes, Puni, there's a, Puni, just like we're in the sporting team at the moment, Slow is often seen as weak, but it's that relaxed or that's easy or reflective thinking. And slow is not weak at all. And that's often negative correlated, though, when compared to fast thinking, which is how most people are rewarded and taught in their new ways of work, especially now in this hybrid world. So you go back to Charles Dickens, you look at research on this, new emerging fields or relatively emerging fields, and there's a lot of people talking about this as well. So we're onto something that a lot of people are talking about, researching, writing, but most of us don't do, unless you have someone with a shiny head you work with says, hey, Ange, why don't you do this, have a reflection, and then let's see where it goes. Yeah, I'm also reflecting on the some of the constructs that Kamal, who we work with from Resilium, he says that as humans, we often focus more on the negative. When you have a, a day and there are 10 great things that have happened that day and you have one bad thing that happens and you go home to your family and said, today was a terrible day. These are the things that have happened. And we tend to forget the positives. So I think doing this exercise really helped me reframe and focus more on those positive aspects of the last 12 months. I'm going to get you to be more of a guinea pig in our podcast moving forward. This is great. And a shout out to Kamal Sama. Kamal is the monk who didn't sell his Ferrari. That was Robin Sharma, the monk who sold his Ferrari. Kamal spent seven years in a monastery. He then worked in finance around the world. He's he's a, just a beautiful man. And we love working with him on the MAS program with Navy. And Wiz, we've got Kamal lined up next year. Sounds like I'm doing all these plugs to get people to come back and listen to the podcast next year. We are. Now, the seven areas I asked you and I to reflect upon plus one is work and career. That's number one. Two is we looked at health and fitness. Three, learning and development. Four, finances. Five was family and relationships. Six was hobbies and play. Seven, community and spirituality. And eight, I've added one. What do you reckon it is? Well, you, you kind of told me, so... I'm cheating, but recovery. <laughs> You're amazing. It is. And and why I added it is I'm feeling tired at the moment and partly it's having a one-year-old that's not sleeping well. But part of it is when I did this, I'm not recovering as I well as I was early in the year. So the awareness on this for me is, yeah, get back into some of those good recovery processes. And I think a lot of people listening will go, what's he even talking about? We'll go seven plus one if you want a bit of a turbocharge to get you freshened up. Out of those seven, pick one and I'm going to ask you some questions on it. Ooh, that's a good one. Let's go with health and fitness. Okay. I thought you would have gone work and career. Yeah, go you. I think I've, I've picked that because it's not something that I've focused on in the past. And I think I've said to you previously that I've never liked exercise. I knew I had to do it, but I did it begrudgingly. It's the first time in my life that I've thought I actually really have been enjoying the exercise that I have been doing. <laughs> you look at me with like huge goggly eyes. <laughs> what's, what's going on? What, what's happened to you? Yeah, I finally found um, a class and a rhythm that's actually really working and I'm feeling fitter and stronger than ever. And previously I had a gym membership and I would go at best once a week. Pole dancing is so popular. (laughs) (laughs) Again, slandering. (laughs) I actually have taken pole dancing classes, but anyway, that's another story. And why shouldn't you? (laughs) 
Uh, this was before, before, before I had a child. So previously I would do one class a week and I would pat myself on the back and I thought, finally, I, I've at least done one. But this year I started this, it's a reformer Pilates class and I started in March. So over the last nine months, I've attended 84 classes, I realised when I looked back. They have those app tracking things. So that's way more than once a week. And I'm feeling much fitter and stronger it's than before. Two a week. Yeah. Two, I try to go three times depending on work. Then I'll, I'll try to fit in a third one. But yeah, at least twice a week. Now, now. This is all about reflecting. I can't help because the inner psychology student inside me wants to ask what's different or what has got you to self-regulate? To go from having to to, to and then there's a model called perceived locus of causality, which starts external. Your doctor or someone says, Angela, you need to go and do some exercise because, and then you do it for a while and then go, Hey, I don't mind this. To now, I've done 82 and I'm going to tell everybody because I'm so, 84 <laughs> ripped you off. So what's what's shifted? I've actually had doctors tell me before, so that hasn't helped in the past. What's really helped for me was actually finding something that I loved doing. Previously, I would do things because those were the ones that I thought I needed to do or those those were the only ones that were available. So, one, I love the class. Two, there's a sense of community in this particular class. The It's very female-friendly and I've, like, had nice chats to the instructors and the people that attend it. So, it's got that lovely community feel. Actually, digress. Last week I had a session with a small class and the instructor was saying that she's started this coaching program and she was going to share with us tips and tricks on how to improve our health and she she shared a couple of things and and then I started sharing couldn't help myself and I said stuff like you know oh well with caffeine you really should delay caffeine for the first 60 to 90 minutes of the day and if you're really struggling with energy levels then you should get some daily sunshine and and cold showers and they all looked at me like they're like who is this get out of our class <laughs> And the instructor knew my background and she said, oh, Ange, tell everyone what you do. And I explained, you know, I work for a um, leadership and well-being organisation and we, um, this is what we teach our clients and everything we do is evidence-based. And, she, and then they were like, oh, okay. And so as the class progressed, we were talking about it. And by the end of the class, and i got to check back with them this week, they've agreed that they're going to do cold showers. So... <laughs> Hello, ladies in North Ride in the community Pilates class. Uh, Angela's coming after you to check that you've done your cold showers, <laughs> you've woken up and got some sunshine, and you've delayed your caffeine intake. I'm processing that. What I love hearing is that you're out there spreading our message and owning it, but you're living this much more than you have before. It's, yeah. it's integral to who you are and what you do. Yeah, absolutely. And it was not something that I realised. And we talk about reps and sets and that then becoming a habit. So it's it's a habit now. Like if I don't go to my reformers Pilates class, I itch, I'm like, oh, I need to somehow get it in. So before it would be like, oh, if I missed it, I missed it. But now I'm much more purposeful. And the other thing, it's close. It's something that I can walk to. So really there's no excuse for me not to go. And for those listening to this, Ange does not have a competitive athletic background. She paints, she draws, she's very artistic. And we have good chats with our corporate groups on this because if it's just me and talking to another jock or another athlete, uh, yeah, some switch off. Your story, though, gets more people going, oh, okay, it gives a different lens. 
Yeah, well, I'd like to hope that it inspires others to do something different because I think a lot of the time people think that, oh, exercise, oh, they don't, they know they should, but they don't get around to it and they come up with a million excuses. And that was me. And this is a reflection activity. Again, I can't help myself, but just round out, how is that helping in other parts of your life or how are you showing up differently having done 84 Pilates classes, not 82, since March? I feel definitely physically stronger. I feel like – and this year I turned 40 as well. Uh, So it was a big sort of milestone year and often when you're in your 20s, 40 sounds like you're so old and it's like all over from there. But I'm actually feeling really strong and fitter. So it's really helped me with embracing my 40th decade as well. So from my mental health, it's actually helped me realise that, hey, it's things are just starting. It's not all over. It's actually a wonderful period of um, time in your life when you reach that middle life because you have a better sense of who you are. Hopefully you're doing things that you love more, not because somebody is telling you what to do, and you still got so much more energy and vitality. I'm going to go with mine on health and fitness, but I'm going to keep it pretty simple because uh, I have a <laughs> we're putting together a present for the Triple Bs that you saw, the Balmoral Beach Bods. It's a group of guys that I train on a Monday morning. A lot of them are execs and CEOs of big companies. And one of them this morning said to me, Maisie, what, what do you think about health and fitness? Like, well, what are the ultimate metrics? Because he's just got a tinnitus scales and he's got body fat. And I said, I've got three. And, and I think this informed or influenced my reflection. I have three measurements that I use, that I have used for the last five or six years. My weight, my waist, and my resting heart rate. So I know if my weight is 89 to 90 kilograms, my waist is 85 to 86 centimetres, and my resting heart rate is 45, give or take one or two beats a minute. I'm fit, I'm healthy, I'm staying the, the weight or the, the, the leanness I want to be, and I'm recovering properly. So it's interesting, right? You've got so many metrics. And Dr. Tom and I, in our human performance assessment, we do bloods and we do brain scans. We go really deep on all these metrics. But I just really realized this morning, really realized, I realized this morning. Sound like Archie. <laughs> yeah, been hanging out with Archie all weekend. That's my son. It's weight, waist, and resting heart rate. And then. I've changed my fitness this year, and that was my reflection. I'm not as structured, and I'm not doing as much as I was. And prior to having four kids, I would definitely do something every single day, and of a morning was most of the time. But Tony, my partner, did not really align with that, thinking if I'm out swimming or cycling or paddling or running or hanging out with buddies of a morning, she didn't get as excited about that as I did. But I'm doing less mornings. I'm still doing two or three a week, but I'm training smarter and adding fasting, doing sauna. Fasting made a big difference. But yeah, summary on health and fitness without getting into all of it. My better week, I've changed and I am at home a number of mornings a week and I travel a lot, as you know, as well. But my metrics, my weight, my waist and my heart rate has stayed the same, even though my life has got a lot busier. Well, that's interesting. I've started fasting too. Have you? I have. Um, More out of, mm, again, like fitting it in with the lifestyle that I have, that there are days when I go into the office, I have to wake up early and in, in, instead of eating breakfast during my commute time, I don't have my breakfast. So I'm still waking up at the same time and I come in and I just skip breakfast until that lunchtime. So I've, when I come in twice a week, I naturally build that into into the week. And for anyone who wants to know about fasting, there is a podcast episode, Long Form, with Paul Taylor, who goes really deep into the benefits of fasting for men and women. It's not as 
black and white for women. For men, you just say, okay, fast. And for guys 40 plus, it's something you should be doing. But go to the podcast, have a listen for people who haven't. There's some great tips on how to get started and even how to go deeper on a three-day fast. All right, we're not going to tick off everyone. We've done health and fitness. Pick another one. We'll do two or three. Let's do work. (laughs) Yeah, work was the one that I did first and I started and then I went, I need to reflect on this. Then I went to the more personal, then I came back and filled in work. So hit me with work to start. We might sort of dance around on this. I think this year for me personally, I felt like I've stepped into more of that leadership role. I think I remember at the end of last- Stepped or pushed? (laughs) Well, at the end of the last year, that was your feedback to me that I should be owning it more. And I really felt that I have done that. We've grown the team. We've done a lot more. I've done a lot more presentations and facilitations. I've even started coaching people one-on-one. So I felt that the my thinking in terms of what my role is versus what I was doing before is has completely changed. Mm. And what did you have for highlights? And for people when you do work and career, what I I guide people on is look at work, go go macro. So look at the different areas you work in. So for me, I did you know what I've done in andrewmay.com, what we've done in Strive Stronger and what I've done in mental skills. So you might segment your work if you have a few different roles. Example, it might be sales is part of your role. Part of your role might be leadership development. Part of your role might be culture or onboarding new staff. So that's a good frame to, to categorize the areas and then go deep on that. So what did you have a little bit deeper on Strive Stronger? Well, one, sales was something that I've always been like unsure of. It's always an area that I'm like, eh, when you talk to me about sales prior to this year, uh, you, you probably saw it on my face. It wasn't something that I was comfortable with. But I think for the first time this year, I said to you, I love sales. I know, I can remember. I was in the car <laughs> and I almost crashed. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's interrelated with the fact that um, the other area that I wrote down, which I, I feel like I've elevated, was having deeper client relationships. And I think those two go hand in hand because when I've felt more connected with my clients and when I'm having those conversations around sales, it doesn't feel like a salesy conversation. It's more... I'm here to help um, and this is what we have on offer uh, and there's a partnership there rather than I'm trying to sell you something. So that has shifted my for me in terms of how I think about sales. Um, so, yeah, my mindset has changed. Shifted a lot. And even doing this activity with you, I can remember saying earlier this year, I want you to do more sales. You're good at it. And I think you, like a lot of people, you came from a big consulting firm where you went deep rather than doing lots of different things across multiple areas. I said, sales is not hard. It's just having a relationship with people. Do you believe in our product? He went, yeah, I'm even teaching people at Pilates like it's my own and I'm going back with accountability loops and I'm embedding behavior, like really good coaching psychology frameworks, Ange. But you are into the message. You're living and breathing it. You have a conversation. If people have needs, you help them with that challenge. It's, that's a real shift forward. Yeah, absolutely. I think that with all of the a deeper understanding of of what we do and how we how we go about it, our approach, changing, changing and consistently tweaking our methodology. We have this exercise um, after each webinar, after each program, where we go, okay, what can we do better? What can we do better? I feel like that really has helped us grow in terms of our offering, but also as a team and how we work together. We've normalised feedback in the conversation. 
on what we can do to improve. And again, it's not just that, just give the full picture for people who think we're only looking at what's not working. At the end of every webinar, every single webinar we've done this year, and we've done, gosh, we've been in the hundreds this year with our programs. We first of all go, what worked? So you go, I go, other co-presenters, Luba, Todd, Wizard. So everyone goes, what worked? Then we'll go, what could work better? Or what could we improve? Uh, and then the final one, no, so we, one is what worked, end of the year. <laughs> Second one is either what didn't work or what was a bit clunky. And number three is what could we do to make it better next time? Yeah, and that really makes the process very agile. So we've able, we're able to adapt to the needs of the client and we take the ego out of it. And we're able to just change the way we do something and continuously improve with the with the client in mind, with the outcomes in mind. Mm. So it's a very dynamic team, and I, and I've loved that. It's it's building that culture into our team. And another way of of looking at taking the personality out of it or taking the ego is you look at the process, not the person. And even when you think of that, what is my process? How am I adding to this? What can I do better? Rather than, oh, Andrew, you stuffed that up or Andrew, you did that. Because if people aren't used to feedback and we find sometimes when we have a co-presenter joining us, we have a bunch of great people, psychologists, neuropsychologists, people in sport, military backgrounds. We now explain or I explain because there's I've done a few where I haven't done that and it's a bit, gosh, this is full on. Like, you know, we're just used to the, hey, that was really good, saccharin, maybe a little bit different next time. But we really go into giving people specific, clear, precise feedback i've had from a number of other presenters that they really enjoy that end bit because they've learned so much mm, yeah absolutely and we learn a lot from them as well all right um i'm going to ask you learning and development and then you can pick one you're asking me about learning yeah, and development. what did you have under your learning and development i, I think a lot of it's tied with work See, seeing myself more as as a leader trusting and backing myself trying out more different things within my role. The one thing that I said in this area that I want to improve on is to do more reading because a lot of the content that I've learned is through osmosis by watching, by our presenters uh, present their their areas, by watching you, by being pushed into facilitating and presenting content in, in the areas that we work with. Uh, but yeah, i doing more reading in the um, various areas that we work with. Which areas? Uh, I love the psychology stuff. I've, I've always loved it. I, I want to read Kamal's book, actually. He was such a fascinating character, so I'm trying to get, get my hands on his book to read. Everyone's That's buzzing next, after that session one. last week. No, I'm <laughs> thinking, how will we back that up today? Thanks, Kamal. <laughs> Mine in learning and development, when I first did it, I thought, oh, there's not a lot. Mm. For people doing this, if it doesn't flow straight away, don't throw it out and go, ah, it's broken. I went for a walk with Toby, got a coffee, came back, and I must have been reflecting subconsciously, which I always do on walks, and we know the research behind that as well. When you feel like your brain's not working really well, get out of that cognitive processing. Go do something different. Come back. You often get the breakthroughs. I had three when I came back. One was podcasting, the second one was interview skills, and the third one was mental skills. And I even thought, do we change this to learning and development or from learning and development to learning and skills? Because I looked at mine, and I think it's just a bias, but mine are all skills. So we're doing podcasting this year. I really love that. If you just do podcasting to get listens, I think you'll do it 
for a week or two and give up because it takes a while to build a tail. And I'm seeing now, we're seeing our listeners are really going up every episode. But that's about number three reason why I do it. The first reason, I've loved the format learning, listening to others, adapting. And I think Wiz from when we first started to now, it's, it's, it's a very different product. But I, I still am thinking, yeah, we're only just getting started. Uh, and, and I'm excited about that. So I've learned so much. We've learned so much as a team on podcasting. Now we're doing podcasting for big organizations. So we're doing one for Navy. You and I have got a meeting on Wednesday. A consulting firm wants us to do podcasting. So it's opened up a whole, another whole different revenue stream and skill set. Second one was interviewing skills. And this only dawned upon me. Thank you, Michael Jarmain or Jarmain who's in my cycle or our cycle squad. On Friday, we'd had a fair few beers, Ange. And uh, later that, or earlier that evening, Jarmaine said, oh, mate, I really like that interview you did, which was on Can for Cancer Day 2, the recent Can for Cancer, which was a three-day bike ride, 450 kilometres from Goulburn to Huskisson, Huskisson to Kayama, Kayama to Sydney. And I've done eight Can for Cancers, so Jarmaine's seen me interview eight at least because he's done all eight, and I've done events at Combank, and he said it was really different. And I said, oh, can you tell me what was different? And then he said, you really asked questions that got everyone involved. So I actually realized upon reflection, and thank you, Jarmaine, and a few beers, because a mate often doesn't give you feedback. So when, when he said that, it really jolted me, because my mates are normally like, ah, you know, giving you a hard time, insert, insert. But I realized the podcasting and interviewing has had transference. It's cross-training. It's made me a better interviewer. So it was actually really good getting that. And, and I recently interviewed Matt Common for their CBA Excellence Awards. And I felt a lot more in flow in that interview with Matt. I know Matt, but no doubt podcasting has also been helping with interview skills. And the third one upon reflection was mental skills. So doing the work with Parramatta, starting with Tim Zhu and another, a number of other athletes, and now starting with Manly. I feel like I've learnt a lot in that area, both on one-on-one -on -one coaching, but also the group methodology, because it's bringing a culture change or a strategic framework to the squad. So even on the weekend, I was reflecting, my mental skills approach is inside out, working with the players on their mindset, and outside in, working with head coach, working with staff, to make sure we've got the culture. So it was very beneficial doing this. Now that we're doing more face-to-face -face sessions, I've had the pleasure of attending a couple of your workshops, Andrew, and I've seen you at work and I've seen you before as well, but to really feel that impact that you have in the room where you start off with a audience that doesn't really know you and you can feel that energy where they're sort of skeptical and they're being polite and laughing at some of your lame jokes at the beginning to <laughs> really getting into it by the end of it really you can see that your messages are really resonating with them people are crying and hugging so yeah it's it's amazing what you do and I still don't know how you do it <laughs> The compound effect, so what I've found, thank you, Ange, um, I was going to make a flippant joke, but I'll thank you because that was a genuine comment. The compound effect or the cross-training, so for anyone who's listening to this who's wanting to improve their craft, is when you coach, it makes you better at speaking. When you speak, it makes you better at writing. When you write, it makes you better at interviewing. When you interview, it makes you better at media. When you do more media, you're better at insert, insert, insert. So I've really felt 
the cumulative effect this year and adding online because when you do online you've really got to look at the message differently because you can't use all the theatrics and jazz hands I think that's added and what I've built into my keynotes is on the spot coaching where I'll just say to someone which I did last week there were 700 people in the room it's just you and I talking Claire I, I just forget everyone else she said that's pretty hard this is a big room but then Going in and coaching, then the other 699 can really learn from that. So, yeah, I've really enjoyed doing that and, and adding that, and, and that's confidence. Mm, absolutely. All right, pick one more, Ange. I'm going to go with something a bit different, community and spiritual. What have you learnt? What are your reflections around that? My reflections were two. One of these I don't think I've told you. One is the the continued relationship I have with Tour de Cure, just seeing the difference it's making to school kids, seeing the difference it's making to research breakthroughs. Um, I just love the connection that we all have with TDC, with Tour de Cure. So that is something that will be in my calendar forever. The other one is I've been going to church at least once a month with Arch. Archie has got a really good mate at school, Jensen, and they're family is religious and Arch has gone to church a few times and he said it's very peaceful and he's had a bit going on at school and you know, kids there's always heaps going on busy he's busy at sport and he said he just likes sitting there he said dad why don't you come with me so we've been a couple of times up at Kirribilli just sitting in the church and it's peaceful yeah so I've gone back to church and not because I felt like I needed to connect with God I actually went back because of Arch because I think it's really good to support him. And I've found it is peaceful because you don't have your mobile phone. You're not talking and reflect. Yeah, so that's another thing I've done. And I also realized I would like to do more down the track, but with two businesses plus running mental skills program plus having four kids, I don't think it's the right time to add anything else. <laughs> I think you've got enough on. I'm sure everybody listening would think the same. Um, Archie's always fascinated me. He's such a unique boy and he's wise beyond his years. So it's amazing that he's st- taking you to church instead of usually it's the other way around. <laughs> oh, he's the parent in this relationship. <laughs> <laughs> For me, community-wise, so this was the first year really I started school and I remember when I did the Look Forward exercise five years ago or so, one of the things I'd written down under community was to be more involved um, in the local community, volunteering, etc. And that's something that I've done, now done. I'm, I volunteered for a couple of the school activities. I'm the class parent. Um, we have a WhatsApp group with all of the parents in the school and we are constantly like supporting each other, walking up and down the streets in the neighbourhood, having lots of play, like setting up play dates with Aurelia. I, the reason why I wanted to do that was because I wanted her to feel a sense of belonging. When I was growing up, I used to go to school, not to the local school. I would always be driven to school. I've never had the experience where you can walk to and from school. And I think that is such a simple but powerful thing to do to make you feel a sense of belonging because every day you're walking past your neighbors you're saying hello Aurelia has spontaneous play dates now all the time and it's really great to feel that connectedness with your neighbors and seeing all these neighborhood kids grow up together is I think a beautiful thing you light up your, your eyes went bigger when you said that your body language became more demonstrative so I can see how how much joy that's giving you Absolutely, and it's uh, it's the type of childhood I wanted to give to my daughter, and and I feel like I'm I'm doing it now. I hope she'll appreciate this when she's older. <laughs>
to download the activity and the article that goes with this, andrewmay.com slash podcast, there's an article and a page that now has eight different areas, Ange, on reflection for 2022. And the eighth I've added is recovery. Just a quick overview on recovery, because I said this in a webinar last week and you hadn't heard this. I've been teaching this for at least six or nine months with a lot of my execs and CEOs. It's an extension of The Better Week. You and I have also done an episode, so check the catalogue. We go deep into The Better Week. But I now talk about three better weeks. This is especially really specific, or this especially helps busy people, because when you go, right, here's my better or ideal week, and if I can't do that, what do a lot of people do? Ah, too hard, I'll throw it out. So with a few of my real big dogs, I've now got three types of better weeks. This actually started with me, and I was practicing, I went, mm, I'll try and coach this. It's how I start a lot of my stuff, you know, try it on myself or a client, see it works, and then amplify it. So now the three different types of better weeks, there's a power week, and I like my clients to get 25 or 30 power weeks. That's where you go, my better week it looks like this from Monday through to Sunday, and you're hitting 70 to 80% of it, and you feel powerful. You feel in charge, in control, work and life. What I've added is a survival week. And I think for a lot of senior people, if you're running your own business or a startup, 15 to 20 weeks of the year, just hang on. And for me, you know, it's the guardrails or the Americans call it the stabilizers. In Australia, it's training wheels. And I have five in a crazy week. And, you know, some of the weeks I've had in October, November with delivery, it's back to back to back to back. Plus we're running a business. So I just wake up and go, there's five things I need to do in one of my survival weeks. Number one, what do I need to do to get through today? So it's just looking at what is each performance moment in that day. It's purely a day focus. I don't care about tomorrow or next week or next month. It's today. The second thing is, invariably, a lot of the delivery for me involves travel. There's a tension which can lead to an anxiety in my house if I'm not home and the kids feel that they're not getting time with dad. And I found just on FaceTime, Millie's one, so she just licks the phone <laughs> with the dog. But with Fia, uh, Arch and Mumu, definitely talking to them on FaceTime makes a big difference. At the very least, it's talking to them uh, on the phone. Three is I flip my focus from fitness to recovery. So I make sure I try and get a bit more sleep or on a plane flight rather than working all the time, I might do some breathing. And it really is downloading the pressure on the outside of work. Four, I link it to my purpose. And I found I was doing this, especially the last few weeks. Why? Why am I doing this? How's this helping me grow my message? How's this helping with skill or mastery? How's this helping us? And I won't go into it deep, but you, Harry, Dr. Tom, Sean, and I have been talking a lot about what we want to do next year and a few of the changes in the business, a lot of them because of the blockages with me and my time. I actually think this reflection has helped parallel to that, know that there's some different things we need to do to grow, how we need to grow with Strive. And then there's a recharge week, which is about four to six weeks where you drop the tools and just recover. Even though I'm not doing as much recovery in the last year as I would like or as much as I've done, the mindset or the shift in mindset, Ange, from, right, this is a power week. So this week's a power week because we've only got a few left and it's a big week. So it's bang, power week. Then when I'm on the road or it's back-to-back delivery, I take the pressure off and go, it doesn't have to be perfect. It's not even better. It's just survival. And those five big rocks or the training wheels keep me sane and avoid being in a room like this with padded white walls. And knowing I can drop the tools for three or four weeks in January and throughout the year as well. So it's that philosophy, work hard, recover harder. 
even though I can't wait for a break, I still feel like I'm focusing. And I think the big difference for me this year has been implementing that survival week. Yeah, Andrew, that survival week is something that I resonate with because there are certain weeks where we're just hanging on and um, often our clients are in the same boat and we tell them that this is why we don't call it a perfect week. We call it a better week and it doesn't mean that we should just throw it all out the window. There are some weeks where you're just going to hang on and do as best as you could um, before you bring back those practices back in and that's okay. I was tested on this, and you can give me a guide, Poonia, how much or little you'd like me to disclose, but before a, one of the biggest performance moments I've had this year it was Combank Excellence Awards two weeks ago. And the night before, or the afternoon, late in the afternoon before, uh, I was doing a two-hour mental skills class, and then Tim Zhu was joining me. That all happened. But I got a phone call from Combank, and then from Matt Common, they asked if I would interview Matt. So I found that out the evening early the evening before so suddenly i've gone into right i'll do a two-hour mental skills masterclass talk to tim down regulate for 20 minutes and then interview matt for one hour live on stage my little voice was going don't stuff up don't stuff up you know natural you teach this but you still have a bit of that negative let it flush through and then i've done lots of interviews this year so i had to really rebalance my inner voice i didn't have the best preparation leading into that you were a little bit wobbly that afternoon then archie was also really struggling and rather than coming straight home from school, he went to his mate Jensen's house. So then I spent an hour and a half talking to him about stuff in his life. Everything that could have gone outside of the schedule the night before happened. I was in here in the office until midnight getting ready for one of the biggest performance moments. So the the point in telling you this, you can have the best laid plans and you've got to be adaptable. You've got to sometimes go with the flow, but you're in a much better state now than you were that night before. Yes. I think there was a few things that led up to it. There was a email that I received, which um, I think was a straw on the camel's back. I was just feeling fatigued. There was a lot of things happening. Email was from me, just for full yeah. disclosure. <laughs> <laughs> Disclose as much as you like, Andrew. Yes, that email was from you. Friday afternoon, <laughs> not very vagal, on one of our digital platforms to you and a few of the other guys. In hindsight, could have been, a, not could have, <laughs> it would have been nice to have a little bit, have a good weekend. I was like, this needs fixing, that needs fixing. I was being very blunt. Yes, and I think after a, a, a a hectic uh, period and where I knew everybody was doing their best to get through, that was the last thing I wanted to receive that on that Friday. And so it kind of just bubbled up and then on the Monday kind of bubbled over. So <laughs> there was a, a couple of wobbly moments where you'd given me some feedback, you wanted me to present some things a different way and I just, I think I mind blanked you. I, I just, I just went, I, I know you are telling me certain things, but I'm processing and I was not I was not feeling confident and I was basically um, I couldn't commit to any of the uh, feedback. I couldn't commit any of the feedback into my mind at that point in time. Part I couldn't process it. it was, you've been presenting now with me for two years, a lot this year, and your skill level's gone up. And you said that on your reflection. Ha, told you. <laughs> now you've caught up. It's called lag time in coaching. And I said, now is the time to get rid of your training wheels and go on muscle memory because you've been asking me for a while, how do you pick up different areas? Or if someone says that and you, you go off script or off pissed, it's because I have a framework on some concepts and ideas rather than following it. Whereas you were reading it and I said, and also Dr. Tom gave you feedback. He said, you were reading it. And I said, come on, cut the training wheels. And you looked at me and I could just see this was not the right day to give you that coaching. 
<laughs> yeah, I was like, no, basically, no. Um, but I knew I wasn't responding from a place um, that was receptive to feedback at that point in time. And I just needed to sit back and reflect. And I did that and just put the time into it. And turns out you and Dr. Tom were right. <laughs> Every good story has a beginning. It has a challenge for the hero and it has an ending. So let's go to the ending first. You did a presentation for one of our ongoing clients. And you went more on muscle memory. What happened? It was felt much more natural. I felt much more in the, in the present. I think that was the biggest thing. I felt before, previously because I did a session that earlier that week and it was, it was new content. It was structured in a new way. And, yes, I did have um, – I was reading for parts of it. And I felt I was rushing through it and I had to get through all the points because this is what I prepared and it had to all come out. And then at the end of it, I'm like, I don't know if anybody understood anything that I said. I just pause – Listening to this, ask yourself the question, do you ever present and you try and do all the things? That's what the guys say about me when I get excited or all the slides or all the concepts and you've got half an hour, but you've got two hours of content. Getting above it and getting clear on your message allows you to go cut, 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 cut. Yes. Use that. Cut, cut. Yes. I saw an unbelievable shift from you on the Monday afternoon to Wednesday when you did the presentation in 48 hours. Yeah, I felt much, like I said, much more present. I was able then to look, we weren't in the virtual room, but look around the room and bring people in, get more interaction, um, seeing, getting that feedback to see if the messages were landing. But, you know, at the end of the day, we still covered all of our messages, but just in a way that was much more uh, hopefully engaging. Well, Dr. Tom's told me it was the best session he's ever seen you do. You're bringing people into the chat room and he's gone, why are you on fire? Yeah. Well, thank you, Dr. Tom. Um, yeah, it was. It felt it, – at, at the end of it, I felt very different. And that's part four. I wanted to tease that story out, so thank you for opening up. I wasn't sure how much or how little. But part four today, I said, was self-reflective awareness. That's exactly what you did. Yeah, it's the reflection on everything you've done, catching up with that, and then getting off the dance floor onto the balcony – and then you can see a bigger picture. You can still get down on the balcony when you're talking about detail or about the staff, but you've got a more macro heads up and you can see what's happening. Yeah. The reflective exercise was really um, powerful. And I actually um, was chatting to Aurelia the other night and she was having a couple of days where she was just, you know, playing up and being six. And I asked her a question. I said, do I pay you enough attention? And she said, yes. And then she went, no, <laughs> not when you're working, mummy. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I thought about the reflective exercise and the journaling that I'd been doing and that um, the, the, the process of writing. And I said to her, and because she's just, she's in, in kindy and she's gone from not being able to read to now she's like reading to me um, at nighttime. So I'm like, well, now she can read and write. And I said, well, why don't we have a mummy and me journal? And when I'm not around or I'm not paying enough attention, you can you can still write to me and then I'll write back. And she loved it. So, yeah, that's what we're going to do. Guess what I'm doing with my kids. It's going to be a mummy and daddy and me. I've got to go and buy four exercise books. It, isn't it nice when you try this stuff, you do reps and sets, and then you can see patterns in other parts of your life. Yeah, absolutely. And being able to apply it and, and just change little things, but 
can be quite meaningful. I had some other examples of self-reflective awareness, but that's a beautiful one. In an article in Psychology Today, Greg Henriks comments that self-reflective awareness, or SRA, is a metacognitive ability. That means it involves thinking about and reflecting on your own mental processes or your own thoughts and cognitions. Someone with good SRA is able to generate a narrative of self that is complex clear and multifaceted and able to communicate that narrative in a range of ways that allows others to have a much better understanding of where they are coming from. I think that really summarises what you've done from that uh, session on the Monday where it was all content, 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 feeling a bit overloaded to, and you did, you did some journaling, some reflective practice. We had a good conversation as well. A couple of cups of tea, a couple of boxes of tissues and tears <laughs> in that time as well. And for anyone who is listening to this and going, oh, it all sounds hard. It is. Like doing work and constantly evolving and training and that coaching mindset, it takes reps and sets. And sometimes I'm sure you just go, oh, God, I just want to turn up. But I think when you start living like this, when you start thinking and operating like this, it becomes part of your DNA. Yeah, and I think you become a lot more grounded and you're doing things that are much more purpose-driven. And some of the questions I had, which you didn't even realise I was about to ask, Angela Poon, scary. Healthy self-reflection includes asking a number of questions. So some of the ones I've put together and some of the ones I've been guided in coaching psych as well is, am I clear on my purpose or vision? And if you're not clear on your purpose, that's another whole different conversation another day. But purpose guides you. Purpose absolutely helps you make the big decisions in your life. Are you connected to your purpose? Are you connected to meaningful relationships? to the community and to nature? Are you expressing your talents or what psychologists refer to as signature strengths? Do you feel fully engaged in your career? Do you feel like you're being stretched and performing at your peak? Are you contributing to society or are you making a difference to the bigger world? Do you have a positive and optimistic view on life and do you feel fulfilled in both your personal and professional life? This part is a deeper part, but I think those questions, again, you can download this on the worksheet or you can download the worksheet, it is getting a lot deeper. And I haven't done those myself on this activity, but as I'm talking about that, I know when I make decisions based on purpose, everything else falls into line. Yeah, and these are hard questions and something that I didn't say in, in this process because there are other um there were other things in that wobbly week, um, but I did speak to an executive coach and we did touch on purpose. And I think that is something that, uh, uh, the, right, the reason why I bring this up is because some of those questions are very deep and it's not something that you can do in an overnight session or you can just write one journal entry and you've discovered your purpose. Um, having an executive coach or speaking to somebody about it is also really helpful. I teach this and when I, went on a discovery on my purpose, it took four months. Yeah, and I was saying to Richard Burt, come on, Bert, hell you? Mate, you've been in your body, he said, at that stage for 45 years. It's going to take you a little bit longer to come up with your purpose. Yeah, definitely worth doing. And we will have a podcast. We do have a podcast next year all about the science and the art of purpose. We've covered a lot today, Ange. We've we covered have. the three reasons why I wanted to do this. We've covered the science behind reflecting and looking in the rearview mirror. We've covered some examples of what you and I did. And we, we wanted to make that, and, and I hope for the listener, it wasn't self-gratuitous and, hey, what I've done. We wanted to make that conversational and learning. Uh, and then we've covered how to go deeper. 
What I find out of this activity and what I've had feedback the last few years is when you look in the review mirror and especially when you write it down, it gets you ready for the year ahead. So my final question, I've got two final questions. My second final, has this or what has this helped you think about for goals next year? It has helped me, um, one, I don't always do goals because like what you said at the beginning of the year, I think that's always the worst time to do goals because you 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 get excited and then it drops off. Um, but I have sort of things that I want to achieve and that's revisited on an ongoing basis. Um, so this has helped sort of kickstart that process. And I've learned that there are, that I'm actually doing really well. Um, and there are certain tweaks around the edges and to focus more on my passions and hobbies and interests again, because we've had like another big year. So just reminding myself on the areas that are important and to put more time into those areas that are going to energize you, which is what we teach our clients. What I've really enjoyed today is I've I feel like I've flipped from talking to you about this to sort of almost looking at a coach, what a coach does, and I can't help but look at the evolution, the growth, the learning you've had. So I'm really happy you've done this for you. I'm really happy you've done this for us, setting us up for Stride Stronger next year. Really powerful exercise. We'll absolutely get everyone to do it. Wizard, take a note. This will be homework or home joy, as we call it on our online programs. The final question I've got, Ange, is do you have a question for me on this or do you have a way you want to wrap this up? Andrew, you have a strong sense of self-awareness and you do put a lot of those things into practice. But when you did this exercise, what did you learn about yourself that you didn't realise? Good on the spot question, Ange. I'm buying some time to reflect. I reckon there's two things. First one is doing this, especially on the weekend, made me realise a lot of these activities are now habitual for me. The better week is one I live by, the exercise with friends and outside, double dipping nature, having a goal community like with Can for Cancer. I've set up a number of frameworks in my life that enables me to self-regulate. Big psychology answer. This stuff is just now congruent to who I am and to how I connect with loved ones and family. And even you guys, like we do lots of walk and talk meetings. I'm obsessed about getting 12,000 steps. What it made me realize is so much of this now is just habitual, absolutely habitual. The second thing I realize is I've adapted more than I realized I had. Uh, not doing exercise every day, not doing as much fitness, the, the change to the better week. So while I'm habit, it's that juxtaposition between ritual and routine and not playing the same game. So I think meta, I I learned I was doing that without even realizing it, that there's some basics I just put in, but I have had to change this because I can't be away and I've got to connect with family and loved ones and that requires time at home. But And it's not always about fitness. That was another activity because especially my eldest, Mickey, Mickey's a good athlete, uh, but she would rather just go for a walk with me and go to the coffee shop. So I'm trying to adapt with my family, not just on stuff that I do, because it would be like, hey, let's go to the beach and I'll do a swim. And they're trying to do some activities that other people in my family want to do. If there is a third, because you know I like three, this has got me already thinking about goals for next year. So I really encourage people listening to this to download that article, download the worksheet, because I'm I'm already thinking, in fact, I've already started making goals and surprise, surprise, we'll get people next year to do goals in seven plus one areas. So it'll be the same areas you look back on and we'll get people, we'll do a, a separate podcast and there's a process in setting goals. So the reflection piece, I think we can put that to bed. I've got one message that I'd like listeners 
to think about. I think when we do this exercise, I mentioned gratitude before. I think one big takeaway um, that I got out of doing this was to be kind to yourself because when you look back, you can be quite critical. So think about that inner voice that we always talk about and be kind and do give yourself that kudos to recognize all these things that you've achieved because you talked about that lag time. Um, Often people see you in a different light than you see yourself. So be kind to yourself. I can't think of any better way to round out. Thank you, Ange. You're welcome. (laughs) Hi again, it's Andrew, and I hope you really enjoyed that episode. We would appreciate if you helped to amplify the Performance Intelligence podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help get the message out to a wider audience, and I love reading the comments as well. If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or purchasing one of the books I've written, including MatchFit, or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com. And we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence. Performance Intelligence.